The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 116 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie, still broadcasting from a uh, Turkish prison, but I am still joined by my co-host out in LA, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? I'm not doing well. I got problems, Tyler. I'm here in LA. We're all at the city was so excited. The world was so excited. Lakers Clippers was supposed to start start on Friday. In fact, I actually had plans to meet up with friends and watch game one of the Clippers Lakers. Um, not happening. Which was funny because we were told it was supposed to be last Monday, this past Monday, and then it was supposed to be tomorrow. But here's my first question before we kind of dive into this series and we talk about like what happened with the Clippers, kind of what the future is for the Clippers, and then talk about just like how incredible it is that the Nuggets became the first team ever to come back from not only two 3-1 deficits in the playoffs, but obviously three-to-one deficits in back-to-back series. I have an LA-based question for you. Do you think more people are happy the Clippers didn't make the conference finals because LA is such a Lakers city? Or did they want to see the Clippers make the conference finals and then get beaten by the Lakers? Like, what's better for Lakers fans in L.A. as a city, as someone who has grown up there and spent most of his life there? Right. No, I would say, and I said before, I would say at least 80% of the city is Lakers fans. So, um, obviously, the Clippers fans are disappointed. Lakers fans, I, I don't think they're really, like, thrilled. I don't think they're celebrating. For two reasons. One, I do think they kind of anticipated this sort of, you know, mono mono face off. It would have been cool. And the second reason is like Denver's playing well enough where it didn't, doesn't seem like a clear, easier path, maybe, especially how much the Clippers were kind of struggling in the last few games. You know, maybe two weeks ago, it would have been nice to avoid the Clippers. But and, right and by now, that, and by that, you mean like we thought at the beginning of the season, it would have been a really tough path for the Lakers. But you're saying like the Lakers path seems if the Clippers had won. Or the Nuggets. Right. The it, it wasn't like relatively similar. Yeah. And you even said before the game seven, the Lakers had become the favorite in the series, the next series, regardless. You know, whereas they were, I think the Clippers were slightly favored a few weeks ago. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like LeBron has got to be just so excited. I think he's happy just because it's like Denver's a good team, beatable. You know, Boston, Miami, very beatable. I think he's looking ahead. He's like, look, I can win a ring this year. I could win a ring next year. I could get to Jordan. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, one of the things it sucks that we're gonna I'm gonna bring up LeBron here because it's not about him. And Denver deserves just all the credit in the world. And I actually think that although like Chris B. Haynes wrote the article like literally directly after the game ended about how like the Clippers chemistry was bad and Doc Rivers thought that like they didn't have guys in shape, which was ridiculous, just ignoring the fact that like Jamal Murray didn't play to start the bubble, like Gary Harris didn't play to start the bubble, Will Barton never came back. And I understand that Trez was a little bit of a bigger loss, but I just think it's amazing. We always try to give like LeBron, right, these foils, right? It's like 
we're going to get Kawhi LeBron. We're going to get like KD LeBron. We're going to get like Paul Pierce versus LeBron. We're going to get, you know, and the only guy that's ever really been able to like Kawhi beat him once, right? Kevin Durant beat him twice, but not by himself. And it's just like LeBron just keeps outlasting these kind of like <laughs> matchups that people want to see because he just keeps getting to the finals and, and sometimes losing, sometimes winning, but then other people just well, don't consistently do it. And, and even if we do say I that, like, LeBron, I don't not. Well, even I if we say he does build his own team, which he consistently does, he, the results still do speak for themselves with him. Like, he still is going to get – like, whether we like it or not, like, LeBron has had an opportunity to win the NBA championship every single year but one right. of the last how many years? 12 years? I mean, that's, right. that's like, amazing to say. It's just, well, it's, it's just amazing. Like, I, 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 and dis- I get I everything agree that goes disagree. around it, but like. I would say this. Like I said before, and you disagreed. LeBron, clearly the best player in the world for whatever, last 10 years, give or take a year. Yeah. Um, has gone around chasing super teams and has, I said, only won three titles in 15 years. I don't think that's that impressive. However. <laughs> but, yeah, I get it. I get it. However, if he wins this year and next year, that will be his like third, you know, super team that wins a title. That is impressive. And that I would give him credit for sort of like the team building aspect, like putting all the chips in the head and getting, even if he, Hey, even, Anthony Davis is the perfect guy for me. Let's get him here. Even if he wins this year's and that's three titles with four teams and he won in the East and the West. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know. That four he titles with three teams. Yeah. What did I say? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I meant four titles with three teams. Like, I don't even think though, like, and again, I, I don't want to dwell on this because I do want to talk about this Clippers Nuggets series for a lot of different reasons. But like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not saying that he's better than Jordan. I don't know that I feel well, that way. Like, as a compiler, he's going to be the greatest of all time. Like, there's no question yeah. If about he gets it. if he gets to six, then he then there's no question. Yeah, I mean, even if he gets, if he gets to five, I think I think most people a, like logically would say yes, but there will be fans saying Jordan of course six. There's going to be people that are just like, it's like the, the Democrat-Republican thing. Like, the 6-0 thing is just going to mean the most to some people no matter what. And like I said, right. I, I would argue that, like, you know, winning a third title, winning a fourth title with a third team in a different conference is, you know, it's an impressive feat. I will say right now, it seems – the Lakers odds right now to win the title are minus 200. And that seems high to me. Like, them being better than even money to win the title when they still have to beat a Nuggets team who we know is pretty good – and Miami and Boston are pretty good teams. Like I don't, I, I don't see the Lakers being like far away. I, I could see them being even. Like I could see them being like minus a hundred, like plus one ten, something like that. But them being better than even money seems like really bad value. I mean, it really does. Even if we do think that like they're well, the best you know, team, the one, I, I think they're. I mean, I, I I don't know if I'd bet it. It's not a real satisfying bet. That's what I'm honestly. saying. Like it's not, you know, right. it's not a great. Value. But I would I would disagree with one thing you said. Is that LeBron sort of outlasted all his rivals? Um, just, we keep and he certainly outlasted rivals. like like Paul Pierce, like legitimately like thought he was better than LeBron, and, yeah, and clearly like that was over fairly quickly. Um, it's been debunked. P is better than Paul Pierce, and Kawhi has been like inconsistently emerged here and there. Um, and le- look, like Le-, le- Kawhi was like the best player on a title team last year and he never faced LeBron. So I don't even know if they're really rivals. They had that one series where he bothered LeBron. Well, two, se- two series. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, I, I would say Kevin, this about Kawhi. Though, but let like, me say Kevin Durant, I think is legitimate rival. And we I said, yeah, but like the fact that Kevin Durant's a few years younger, it's always felt like LeBron's much farther ahead than he really was. Yeah, Cause I if agree. you match them up timeline to timeline, they were very similar. Um, 
And then the first time they fought in the finals, LeBron just had a better, more veteran team. And the next times Durant was on a much better team. And I actually thought that like this year, this instead of this whole Clippers Lakers being the inevitable conclusion, I thought it was going to be Lakers in the finals, LeBron finally on even ground versus Durant. I thought maybe on the Knicks, but if it was on the Nets, you know, in the finals to see, you know, even ground, who's the best right now. And the fact that Durant got injured really threw that out of whack and it might throw it out of whack next year again. And I do think from what we've seen, and this is a pretty big leap to take, but like we've talked about this before, like with Kawhi last year on the Raptors, like everything went correct for them. Right. Like, and they were the first team to actually get pretty fortunate. I mean, the Cavs got really fortunate in 15-16 that Draymond got suspended, but they still had to win three straight games. They still had to win game seven on the road. But, like, the Raptors, great job beating the Bucks. but then they end up playing a team with Kevin Durant for 10 minutes and Clay Thompson for a game and a half. And, like, it just didn't – you know, like, everything went perfect. And this narrative that, like, Kawhi was the best player in the world all of a sudden kind of, like, took over. And I think that there's a couple things about Kawhi Leonard that are very interesting to look at. And and with that, like, I'll kind of get into this game seven. Like, we haven't seen Kawhi play really badly in a long time, right? Like, we've seen him have inefficient games. Like, we've seen him, you know, score 25 points on 28 shots. Like, we've seen that. And we saw it some in the finals last year where it looked like he was kind of breaking down. And it's it's really interesting. And you kind of brought this up, but, like, it doesn't look like he can play a full season anymore. And it doesn't look like that he can really play a full playoffs unless everything kind of breaks right for him. So whether or not we do think on a game to game basis that he is the best player, like he couldn't get to the rim at all on Tuesday night. Like he had no juice. Like he couldn't come off pick and rolls. They weren't hunting Michael Porter when he was in the game. They weren't trying to go with Jamal Murray. Like he was totally fine taking mid-range jumpers, which is okay. We've seen him win games doing that before, but usually we see him do that and then also like overwhelm guys and get to the foul line. And there was none of that. And I don't, I don't personally believe that like Kawhi was like pulling a Kobe Zan. Like, I don't think he was just like, I can't yeah. win. He, he was playing hard. I just think that like. Yeah. It's, playing- it was very, that's what's like shocking about this game seven is because like, you know, the, the Clippers took a massive risk with this whole, you know, team. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about that for sure. But like the nightmare and this is sort of feels like worst case, like the worst case actually would have been, hey, Kawhi Leonard is broken down and can't get through a regular season or Paul George gets hurt again because he had the shoulder issues. It felt like leading up to this series against Denver, leading up to the 3-1 comeback, it's like it seemed like the Clippers, it worked. Like Kawhi Leonard, like they managed his minutes. He came in, he seemed healthy. Everyone was ready to go. They paced themselves perfectly. And you're and, right, and, they and, still looked like he was breaking down. And Paul George actually was playing pretty well until game six. And all of a sudden, like the wheels came off. And I, I don't want to buy into like this whole Paul George stinks in game seven. He does have a couple real duds. Like he has a couple very bad games. But then last year against Portland, like he was like 14 for 20 for 36 points. So like, it's not like... We have this amazing set of data where Paul George is just terrible in game sevens, but he was certainly awful on Tuesday night. And they're not going to be able to win a game, I don't think, with the two of them playing bad. And and like I said before, it seemed very odd to me that like Doc immediately went to the conditioning excuse. And I understand like Patrick Beverly was hurt to start. Like the thing with Trez, I, I think was a was a truly a killer for them because I think his energy on the offensive end really mattered. And Without him in the game, I think they went away from what they did offensively when him and Luke played together. And then all of a sudden, like, Trez just became unplayable. Because you can't, if you're not going to go through him offensively, like, he can't shoot and he doesn't guard. So what does he do for you? And it seemed very odd to me that, like, the Clippers, the team that, like, load managed all year and the team that had all this depth, 
was the one that looked like they had no gas in the tank in the second half of game five, in the second half of game six, and the second half of game seven. I mean, the, right. And, and they're tell me if you saw a team play worse than you saw the Clippers play in the second half. I, I was seven. shocked. I was shocked, not only by the loss. I mean, I was surprised that they lost. But, but like, how but it went like, down. They didn't have a field goal yeah. until like under five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Like, and there was a time, the side of the backboard. Right. Like, that's what I'm going to say. There's, there was a time, like, in the third quarter, the fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, where they were, like, missing open shots and they were kind of rimming out. And I'm like, I feel like they're getting unlucky here. They missed, like, three big shots that they had a chance on. And then it, like, turned where it's like, my brother said it looked like, you know, the Monstars took their juju or whatever. Like, they couldn't hit the rim. I mean, it was, like, embarrassing. The, the, the craziest thing to me that I saw in Game 7 and where I was pretty sure they were going to lose the game, because, like, Jamal Murray played great. Jokic was amazing. Like, Jokic is just so it, – it'll be really interesting to see, and when we preview it, I think we'll talk a little bit more about it. But it'll be interesting to see if, like, Frank Vogel thinks he needs to go big against Jokic. You know what I mean? Because, like, it was pretty right. clear that the Nuggets, I think he will. I think he's pretty traditional. But, like – I think that's a bad mistake, right? Like, Well, let's talk about the Clippers first because I'm shocked by, like – we talked about their offense – they had looked at top five offense, top five defense, all the right ingredients. It was supposed to be coming together and the wheels fell off. We <laughs> mentioned it before their offense in the last four games, 96 points, 105, 98, and then 89. Let's talk, hold on a second. Let me talk about this real quick. Their fourth quarters in the last three games. So 49 in game five, right? 49 points as they blew a big lead. Then in game six, they blew a 16 point halftime lead. They scored 35 points in the second half. And then in game seven, I think they were up two and a half. They were up 15 to start. But then in game seven, they scored 33 points in the second half. So game six and seven, they scored 80, what? I can't do that math. 68 points in the second half? Yeah, it was, it was scary. And, and it did look like, you know, sometimes it's fun to watch the NCAA tournament because it's like the one time you'll see players look like rattled somebody, and nervous. And like, if there's like, sent this comparison to me too that it felt like an NCAA tournament. Yeah, like the, usually if like a guy's at the line at the end of the game, you're like, I think he's going to miss it. Or like they're trying to inbounds. I'm like, I think they're going to mess up the inbound. They just look or like scared. You, or like when you watch like a high seed and it's a back and forth game and like the high seed is like kind of losing and then all of a sudden like the mid-major, like the Cinderella team just makes a couple big shots and you can just watch like the high seeded guys be like, oh shit, we're actually going to lose this game. Like it felt that way with the Clippers, right? In the fourth Yeah, quarter, it, looked, like, it looked so tight. It was, oh man, it was so weird. And like, I think that, like I said, the, the moment I thought they were going to lose the game was in the third quarter when, like, Doc had Reggie Jackson in the game. And I'm not blaming Reggie Jackson at all, but, like, if we're yeah, talking about, like, like late in game seven, like, he's their ball handler. It's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, you don't know what to do right now. It felt like Doc was panicking, and it felt like he kind of just, like, threw lineups out. And then his interview in between the third and fourth quarter seemed, like, <laughs> so shook. Like, he had no idea what to do. And I just sat there and I was like – so not only does this team have chemistry issues, right, which we heard about, and I, I mean, I, I told you that for two months, but then we got Chris B. Haynes, who gives me credibility. But then you have a coach who, because these issues have kind of manifested themselves, doesn't really know what to do. And like in the fourth quarter, it just looked like they had no chance. And I, I feel good for the Nuggets. I really do. Like Jokic is fun. Well, Jamal to Murray. defend Doc on that one thing, I think it was the end of the third, right? He had him in like at the six minute mark in the third quarter. No, I mean the interview. The interview. The interview is in between the third and the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interview between third and fourth quarter of a game seven. And Doc's like trying to be media friendly. And Rachel Nichols asks him one question and then two questions and like a third question. And he's probably thinking, like, hey, I, hey, lady, I got, I got to coach a game here. They were, only, they were only down eight at that point, though. And his right. interview kind of made it seem like they were down like 35. And I felt like you could see in his mind that he was like, 
we're not going to win. I'm probably not going to lose my job, but boy, oh boy, is like the pressure and like what's going to come out going to be a huge deal. And I thought the big mistake he made, like, and the more and more I think about it, like I did kind of like that four wing lineup with like Lou or like Patrick Beverly, where like you just had J. Michael Green and Morris with Paul and Kawhi. But like also, why didn't he just roll with the starters and just try to play Jokic straight up? Like, the drop coverage thing against Murray, who was going crazy, like, against him in game seven, maybe that wouldn't have worked. But, like, they were, like, trying to blitz and, like, letting Jokic short roll. And he was just carving them up. Like, there were shooters wide open every time. And it's, like, I just thought that Doc had no adjustments in his in his tank the entire playoff series. Like, I thought he was bad against Dallas. I thought he was really bad against Denver. And then I thought, like, as the talent started to not play great, you could tell that like the Clippers teams had the Clippers had some real problems and and again I was warned about that going into the restart but I damn yeah. sure didn't expect them. I mean in Game Five we were talking or game going into Game Five we were like oh yeah the Clippers look great and then yeah, all totally just- I thought they rounded into form and you, you know you might joke like Reggie Jackson not a big deal he played four minutes four minutes minus nine box plus minus you know advanced that in four minutes and negative twenty nine. Um, I mean, he was so bad. Like, that's my point. It's like Doc just, he just had no idea what to do. You, I mean, I, again, I, I thought. Offensive uh, rating of zero. <laughs> that's but Dondrick's like Monstars thing was funny because we've been joking about like the Marcus Morris body switch, but maybe like the Clippers just switched bodies entirely as a team. It's just, you, you had a bowling analogy for this, I think. <laughs> yeah, I did. I texted you that. <laughs> well, I just think it's, it's funny because we talked about it last episode, like, this was supposed to be what we thought the Lake, you know, we thought the whole season, the Lakers had these sort of holes and they might get run out, you know, they might completely collapse. Meanwhile, the Clippers seem like they were rounding into form and it's been the complete opposite. Like the Lakers are getting better and better. Um, and they seem like they're getting more and more chemistry and the Clippers are the ones that, that folded. (laughs) And my bowling analogy is, um, for the Lakers, this is what I thought LeBron was saying, go on YouTube not right now, Tyler, but when you're home, <laughs> there's a famous bowling clip. It's like this old bowler. His name, I think Dick Weber or Peter Weber. Have you ever heard of him? He's like yes. one of the most famous Pete, bowlers. Pete Weber, right? He's like, yeah. And there, or there's a Pete Weber Jr. And it, he, it looks he's the like, guy that wears the sunglasses, right? Like, he's yeah, he's like, like the bad boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he looks like, like your dad's friend who works at like assistant manager at the hardware store. Like it looks like a, like a loser. Um, I'm going to venture to guess that your father had no friends who were assistant that worked as assistant. Manager. Yeah, I'm going to guess that. But, but you know, he looks like you know not the cool guy, right? But he's right. acting the part. He's wearing like a polo shirt and khakis. Yeah, I've seen it. I, so he there's a big fan base for the bowling champ. It looks like Kingpin the movie. He's like the Bill Murray character, and so he he rolls a strike or something to win the, the tournament or whatever, and he looks at the fans and he goes like, yeah. Like, who you are, that's what I am. I am who you are. Thank you are. It's just like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know if these bowling fans think that they're him. I don't know. But he clearly has some swagger going on. And that reminds me of the Lakers watching the Clippers. Like, haha! Like, everyone you thought you were. Kawhi thought he was LeBron. That's who I am. Yeah. He's the Peter Webb. That's a pretty good analogy. That, 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 that's coming. But why, I want everyone to go watch that clip. It's just so funny. I, like, I am who you are, whatever it is. It's just like the so randomest flex of all time. So, one of the things I do want to say, and then we'll go into this Western Conference series and then talk about the Eastern Conference series, because if we don't talk about Bam out of Bios block, like, I'm just never going to podcast again. But 
I think one of the biggest issues are if you want to just compare the Lakers and the Clippers, and, and here's the thing, like if maybe you want to say that like the Lakers have the two best players, right? They have LeBron and they have Anthony Davis, and then three and four is Kawhi and Paul George, maybe Paul George, I don't know. But then like the, the Do you depth want me to play of, it right now. I don't know. No, I don't I don't I don't want you to play it because it's gonna sound bad. But the Lakers have very clear like delineation of like how they play, who they take their cues from, like who scores when whoever's in the game. And it's like it all tees off LeBron. Like he is their their balance of power is like very much shifted in LeBron's favor. But like the Clippers, like we don't know that, right? Like Doc builds up his his like bench guys to be stars like they talk a ton about Lou and Trez and like how important they are and then at the end of the games like or in the middle of games like when they need buckets it's always Kawhi it's always Paul George those are the only guys getting you know credit and I and I just think that like it's really hard to build a super strong culture and that's what I argue about the, the the four teams that are left right maybe maybe not the Nuggets so much just because I think like they're a little bit different but like if you look at the the, the three teams the two in the east and you look at the Lakers it's like, all right, it's LeBron's team, right? The Heat, it's Jimmy Butler's team. The Celtics is, is very much like a collection of talent, but like I do think that at the very end of the day, like they're Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, like those are the guys that they kind of take their cues from. And like Tatum is their best player, but like he's not their toughest guy. And, you know, like Kemba, I think is a big deal to them. Like they have a very good like team culture. And, and I think the Nuggets fall kind of into that Celtics matchup where it's like, all right, Jokic is our best player, but like, got a bunch of scrappy dudes and they play really hard. Paul Millsap is kind of like a leader for us, even though I think he's kind of washed. But like, if you look at the Clippers, it's just not like that. Right. And this is the same thing I talked about with the Bucks. Like Giannis is an amazing player, but like, he's not the type of like gritty, like hard nose, like, all right, like Giannis, like it, this isn't working. Like, what are we going to do? Right. He's kind of like frantic and scattered. And so like, I think that's kind of what happened with the Clippers. And this is my, this has always been my argument with Kawhi. Like he cannot be the guy that like leads your locker room. Like he can be your best player, but Kawhi and Paul George, like neither one of them are that type of guy. Right. So you need somebody. And so like, was mm-hmm. it going to be Patrick Beverly? That's kind of like what we were told. Right. But like, was it going to be Lou Williams? He doesn't really have that personality. He's not kind of like a hold you accountable type of dude, like Marcus Morris, like just joined the team. Like, so if I'm the Clippers, like, my biggest thing for next year, because obviously, like, we know PG and Kawhi have opt-outs after next year. Like, they could be gone, and the Clippers are – the cupboard's bare, right? They don't have control of their first-round pick for, like, seven years. So, like, if I'm them, like, I'm trying to bring in some, like, actual personalities. And from day one, I'm like, okay, this is this is what we're doing. Like, this is how we're going to close games. Like, this is who we're looking to. Because if you don't do that, if you don't give Kawhi, like – a Kyle Lowry or like a Tim Duncan or a Marcus Saul or like those types of guys. Like if you don't give them to him, like there's no like structure, right? It feels very like paper thin to me and everything has to go right. And I think that like, that's the biggest difference between this Clippers team and this Lakers team is that like when things go bad, like the guys on the Lakers are like, all right, we know LeBron's got it. Like I don't know that the guys on the Clippers felt that way. I mean, certainly they didn't feel that way about Paul George as we saw him shoot it off the side of the backboard in the fourth quarter. But like, I don't know that they feel that way about Kawhi. Like he's not that type of, He's not super reliable in that sense. I I don't think it's as much a personality thing as like a skill set thing. It's um I don't know. Like, like last year's Clippers, you know, plucky underdogs, stars of the team effectively were Lou and Trez Harrell yep. running the offense. And then you bring in these two guys who are gonna actually be the stars. And the problem is Lou. And when you have superstars, you want to surround them with like three and D guys, right? That's the cliche. Yep. Lou and Montrezl Harrell aren't 
great shooters, you know, Luke can shoot, but he's not like a sharpshooter. A good shooter. Yeah, he's like more shooter. of a scorer, you know, inside. And or getting to the line. And they're bad defenders. So if you play those guys as your fourth and fifth guy in the lineup, like they're they might be doing more harm than good. Yeah, and we, we just kind of assumed that like they were going to close games with like Lou Trez, Paul George, Kawhi and then insert fifth starter, not realizing that like against good pick and roll teams that lineup could be awful. Right. And, and it's like, I, I thought the Clippers were the best team. I don't, I'll take the hit on that. I've been saying that all year. I thought even going to game seven, they would win the title. Um, but I always thought like, I think they're the best when they play their big lineup, their starters, you know, with Zubak and Marcus Morris and the two big wings. And then they treat Lou and Montrez Harrell as like pure bench guys, play them 20 minutes a night, just dominate the second unit. But the combination, it's like oil and water or something. It just doesn't work together. Um, and we I mean, saw that it lineup again. was pretty good during the year, just so we're clear. It was horrendous versus the Buggets, but like those four together was very good during the year. We didn't see a lot of it. No, maybe, we it's didn't. Fact, we didn't. maybe it's a matter of like them not getting their chemistry together. But, you know, Lou Williams, if, you, if you're just playing him as like your fourth offensive option, and you're just watching him get like you know hunted on defense because he's kind of small and old. I don't know. It just didn't work. It, it was just it never came together, and it should have. And I'll take it one step further. I because that's why I thought you know maybe it's good that Montrez Harrell won Sixth Man of the Year, gives him a little praise. He'll feel comfortable with that role. You've alluded to problems in the locker room. I'm speculating, but Lou Williams and Harrell as the stars getting usurped, watching these guys come in and take over their team. It's like, you know, a new stepdad in town taking over the house has control of the remote. Do you think subconsciously they sabotage the team? No, and I'm saying, wait, hold on. Lou, you know, Lou Williams going off, you know, getting lemon chicken or whatever at the strip club. Montrez Harrell showing up out of shape. I'm not saying consciously. Is there some part of them where it's like, F these guys, this was my team. I'm tanking this. I'm no, going with I, I do not think that. I, I think that that type of stuff is is frequently stated, and I never think it's true. I do want to talk really quick about, before we go into this Western Conference Finals, so the Clippers moving forward, right? So Trez is a free agent, and I would be absolutely stunned if he was back. You don't think they're, wait, you don't think they're subconsciously? I'm, no, I, I don't. I don't. I think they want to win the title. Everybody wants, to, like, I think in general, most people want to win a title, especially a guy like Lou Williams, who's well, I'll tell you something else. I was just watching an interview with Benicio Del Toro. 33. 33. Benicio Del Toro was on Howard Stern, and he's talking about his childhood, and he was a bad kid, he said, got in a lot of trouble. And it really happened when his dad married a new stepmom, and and he's like, in hindsight, you know, he said it in more of like a Benicio cool way. He's like, I just wanted attention. I was kind of acting out to get attention. Um, this is all these new family members getting the attention. And I think there is an element of that. I really do. I'm not saying they, they wanted to lose, but I don't think they bought it. That's what I'm trying to say. I, yeah, I told you that at the beginning. I, I mean, I think I told you that like four months ago that there were there were rumors that like Trez and Lou Williams were upset with the way things happened. And, and Lou in his interview after the game was talking about like, you know, they didn't have the chemistry issues to get through this. And, you know, I think like when you hear about chemistry issues 15 minutes after a game ends, like it, it, there's going to be some more stuff that comes out. And again, I think it's really stunning because, you know, Doc was a lot of the reason why this happened, right? Like Doc was, 
you know, he's Mr. Chemistry Ubuntu all the way back with the Celtics and all that stuff. And it seems very stunning that he was not able to figure this out. And I do think – I'm not putting anything at the feet of, like, Montrez Harrell. But I do think he's – you know, he's going to be gone. Like, somebody's going to pay him, like, probably overpay him, to be totally honest with you. But Trez is quite, good, quite a good player. But he's going to be gone. Marcus Morris, $18 million cap hit if they want to bring him back. But they don't have his bird rights. I would imagine he'll be gone. He's actually somewhat of an intriguing piece for, like, a free agent. But then they still do have Lou. They still do have Paul George, obviously, for a year. They have Kawhi. Like, there's no need to panic. They should be quite good next year. They still have Patrick Beverly, although he's getting up there in age. I think the Clippers are not in as terrible of a shape as people think because, like, like the Bucks, they still have this one-year window. But I saw these people being like, they need to trade Paul George. Like, they need to get cap space back. Like, I think Paul George is fine as your second-best player. I think – the, the biggest issue with this specific season to me is trying to draw too many conclusions from kind of like this small bubble sample, right? Like, and so Paul George was bad for part of it, good for part of it, bad at the end of it. So for me, I think like if I'm the Clippers, I want to have a very like acute awareness over the next couple months, not the summer, I guess, but over the fall of like what I feel like this team lacked and where I feel like this team went wrong. Because I do feel like they are so close to being a title contender. Like we don't need to ignore that they were up 3-1 with an opportunity to go play right. a team that they match up pretty well against. And they blew a 3-1 lead. Like it sucks. Like it happens. But like you still do have Kawhi Paul George. Kawhi is still a top 10 player unless his body's breaking down. He's not even 30. Paul George is probably still a top 15 player. I, I would say the bubble obviously impacted him kind of negatively. And maybe we'll hear more about that. But like, the problem is I don't know how much you can rely on Lou. I don't know how much you can rely on Patrick Beverly. And, like, yeah, they do have some okay young guys. Like, I do like Zubak. I think he's definitely part of their future. Cabin, Mufando Cabangeli from Florida State I think is an interesting guy as, like, a potential, like, stretch five. You know, Landry Shamit is was pretty much unplayable against Denver, and that's not good to see because you would like to see him be part of your playoff rotation. But then after that, like – I mean, like Rodney Magruder, like two years, 10 million left on that deal. Like I'd imagine J. Michael Green picks up his $5 million player option and he's a useful piece. But like, to me, like the the Clippers, they're not that far away. But the problem is this isn't a great free agent class, but I just don't think panicking is the right decision. Like what are you going to do, move Paul George for like a first round pick and a young player and then just assume Kawhi picks up his option or re-signs another two plus one to stay in LA? Like he's a weird dude. I would say the same thing. And and it's not like sort of the mythology that we like in sports. We tend to like, you know, best player one, best team one. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm Milwaukee, I'd say, hey, look, we have a chance to win the title next year. I think if we even if we just run it back. And I would say the same thing about the Clippers. And it might be, you know, a ten percent chance to win the title, but that's a really high percent chance to win a title. Um and so I, I don't think they should panic. I practically speaking you're right like marcus morris free agent harold's free agent i would bring back morris over harold personally if you can if you can and just um i i just think i like his versatility i think you can play the four and then you can go small with him i think they're gonna try to do that more next year i hope um and just play him as like their small ball center you know also too like i don't maybe the layoff really hurt Kawhi more than we think you know like maybe they load managed him the whole time but then like without a plan in place and like a routine to get into for three months, like maybe he wasn't able to like ramp it up like he normally would. So him looking broken down now is more of a conglomerate is like more of a consequence of them, like stopping and then him having to ramp it up a little bit harder and not getting a chance to kind of like play himself into a routine, but then having to play 
you know, I mean, even against Dallas, like they got pushed and he looked really good at the end of that series, but he had to play a ton of minutes. So like, you know, maybe it's not even a matter of like Kawhi plays 60 games and he can't make it to the end of the playoffs. Maybe it was just like Kawhi played 50 some odd games before, had a long layoff and his body's not built to just like, you know, not everyone's LeBron in terms of like a physical, just like physical prowess. And so like, maybe that's the only thing with Kawhi and like we're panicking a little too much on that too, right? Like I don't this, people well, ask me like this is a disaster of like epic proportions. It's no, certainly yeah. not good, but it's well, also if they, not like if they if they leave, they give up a lot of draft picks. It could be a problem. Major risk. I have a lot of friends and saying that what a disaster. They should never have taken the risk, and I and I totally disagree. Like the team that they had was not getting it done. I don't even know if they would have made the playoffs. Like, yeah. Like, um. So you roll the dice. You bring in a team that you think has a chance to win the title. There's like nothing guaranteed, right? Like so, but you had as good of a chance as anyone coming into the year of winning. The definitely, title. definitely. Like, and in fact, like looking at their odds, they were like about plus four hundred to win the title. That's like I think they, really, had the, they had the second best odds, they had the third best odds. It was one, of, you know, clearly one of the top three, right? Yeah. And people are like, "Oh, what a disaster!" Because it didn't work. What a unnecessary risk. Flash forward two years in the past when Toronto acquired Kawhi there wasn't that much of a difference. Like and they didn't give up as many picks in the future maybe, but Toronto going into that year, their chance, odds to win the title is 18 to one. So the Clippers put themselves in a better position just in terms of like predicting your chances to win the title going all in than Toronto did. And Toronto, it just happened to work because they happened to, you know, a shot falls in against Philly and then Golden State happens to get injured and it all worked out. I don't think there's a big difference between the two. It just happens to be that the Clippers didn't didn't end. The result was the same, but I think they had a very good. The odds were in their favor of this being a smart, calculated risk. I think. And and Kyle Lowry's a free agent, right? In this offseason, like maybe he's the guy you bring in. Like maybe he fits what they want to do, and they have some cap space to do it. I, I don't know. I just think that like I wouldn't panic about the Clippers. Uh, Let's oh, that's embarrassing. About, we should make fun of them. I mean, that, that it, was a choke. It's definitely a choke. Like, they definitely, I mean, they were up double digits in each game. Like, I think they had, like, not that we totally get into, like, this types of analytics, but, like, they had win probabilities, like, above 85% in every single game. And they lost in every, in game five, six, and seven. Them losing game six was, like, an absolute joke. And I think, yeah, like. And, it, it, and it, I like the Clippers. I was rooting for them just because I picked them to win. But it is nice to see them humbled because they did have an air of entitlement to the team. And you know what's funny about game six, too, is it happened on, like, opening Sunday of the NFL season, and it was an early game. So I feel like, yeah, there are some diehard NBA fans. You know, like, I mean, like, I watched the game, but, like, I don't think a ton of people watched and saw how bad they looked in the second half when, like, the game should have been over. And I think, like, so a lot of people saw game seven, and were like, this is super weird. Like, they don't look into it. But this was two games in a row where in the second half they looked like, totally lost like they looked like they had no idea what they were doing and i think like game six if you had seen it back to back like vegas didn't adjust right we talked about this like the clippers were minus seven and a half going into game seven and they were still like the second best odds to win the title because even you had texted me it was like what are the clippers odds to win the title maybe we should like throw some money on that i i thought and, so and, and i think i told you like i don't i don't think they look good enough to like confidently do that but like I, I know tons of sharp money went on denver's money line late because i think the people that were actually paying attention and saw what happened on Sunday. We're like, whoa, like this Clippers team is, you know, maybe two months ago, they're way better than Denver, but they're not better than Denver right now. And I don't think Vegas adjusted. And I think like, I think Sharps cleaned up on Tuesday night, just because I think like the writing was on the wall that like, 
whether the Clippers figured it out and, you know, Kawhi had 40 and they managed to get to the Lakers series. Like, like you said earlier, like, I don't think the difference between the Denver playing Denver or playing the Clippers is, is, is it really anything. Denver's playing better, obviously right now, but like, I don't think well, like, that's why if you watch the games and you study, you're ahead of the curve, you're sharp. Right. And so that's why I always go and bet online personally. I try to study the games. I don't bet until I'm confident. So while I picked the Clippers, I didn't actually bet it because <laughs> I'm not a sharp yet. I need to study a little more and then go on bet online. Yeah, Cause you know, the NBA's and NHL are full swing in the playoffs and our partners at bet online. Have you covered get in on all the action, including a new NBA playoff bracket contest. Not sure that's still relevant, but maybe it is. You can go check it out. Major League Baseball continues to push through. There's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. As Bet Online has hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Take advantage of every sport. And remember, our casino never closes. Their casino never closes either. It's always there for you to check out and enjoy. So go to the website that we have a free promo code for you. It's called Podcast One. No commas, no dots. Podcast One. Go on Bet Online. Get that free promotion sign up for your free account and you get a sign up bonus and then you could bet if you have a read if you are a sharp you can just listen to us and bet the opposite that's probably the way to go but to do it on bet online so let's talk about denver real quick and, and preview the western conference we got like 20 minutes to go so we'll do 10 minutes on like denver and the western conference finals which start on friday night and then uh, 10 minutes on the eastern conference finals game one game two is thursday night this will probably air uh, after that so no sense in really dwelling on it but Denver, a couple things, right? Jokic, fantastic. We talked about this before. I think we did our, like, top ten players in the offseason, and we kind of, like, hemmed and hawed about, like, where to put Jokic. But, like, just the stress he puts on defenses and how hard he is to guard, like, with how he hurts you. And, and I read, like, the funniest tweet that, like, this dude looks like he plays every game in flip-flops, and then you look at his stat line and, like, nobody can stop him. But Jamal Murray, I mean, we've got – you know, a 14-game stretch for Jamal Murray right now where he's averaging – I think he's averaging like – hold on, let me – he's averaging 27, 6.5, and 5 on uh, 51, on 50, 49, 91, on eight threes a game. Like, he's not turning it over hardly at all. Like, just a ridiculous stretch. Like, the guys turned into, like, 2013 Steph Curry in the playoffs. Yeah, it kind of scares me, though, that – Yeah. They're like all riding this emotional high and they were like celebrating with like champagne in the locker room. I mean, shades a little bit of Portland last year when they got through, broke through the conference finals and then just ran out of gas. And then yeah. And, and that, that Golden State team is, you know, I would say like they were definitely a little bit better probably than this Lakers team, but like not a ton, like without Kevin Durant. And in that sense, I, I think that Denver, the big thing for me is what does Frank Vogel do? Right. Like right. how do you, you guard know, Jokic? Cause I, Jokic is like a big, strong dude. Does Anthony Davis, he's so reluctant about playing center. Like, are you okay guarding this guy? Anyway, I don't think he's going to be. I think they're going to want to start big. And, and then does Jokic, like how does Jokic bother Anthony Davis? Because here's the thing. Like I've, I've talked about this before. One of the things with Anthony Davis is that he is so freaking good at basketball, right? Like his ability to just take and make shots from anywhere and, and as fluid as he – like it's, it's impressive. But I think he falls in love with the fact that like – he can always get a shot. So, like, against Jokic, you know, you want to put him in pick and roll. Like, you want to really make him guard. But, like, if Anthony Davis is just going to, like, post up and shoot mid-range jumpers over Jokic, like, doesn't that let Denver off the hook a little bit? Like, isn't this a series where, like, we want to see Anthony Davis really try to body Jokic, like, really try to, like, make him work a ton? Like, 
get that LeBron AD pick and roll against, you know, what or get him in foul trouble or something. Cause, yeah. cause he will foul like, cause he's slow. Like his position, well, yeah, defending you're slow, great, you're gonna but like reach a little bit. Um, the Lakers like talking about finding the rhythm. I read somewhere that, you know, pace we talked about a lot last time, slowing down, slowing down. The, the Lakers are actually going faster. And it's partly because Anthony Davis played 40% of his minutes at center in the regular season. That's up about 63%. And it feels like up, two, found- up to 63%, right? Up to 63%. Yes. Yeah. 103%. You can't be that. There's not enough minutes. Just want to let you know. Uh-huh. Up to 63%. Uh, thank you, Henry Higgins. And um, the, and it seems like they found their rhythm here. Like the, you know, the Rockets kind of taught them how they should be playing. But I do think they're going to be scared off by Jokic. I don't think Anthony Davis likes that physical weight, to be honest. Um, and then how do they guard Murray? Like, are is Caruso going to play? Yeah, is he going to start? It's um, super interesting. Murray's a tough matchup for them. Yeah, because he's bigger. Like, he's not necessarily a point guard. Like, do we see LeBron on him? I don't think we'll see him a ton. I think KCP will probably guard him to start, right? My thing is, like, what is the matchup here for LeBron? Like, Gary Harris is definitely too small. They don't have a great matchup for Anthony Davis either. Like, as much well, as I, I like you know, Denver, I think, will want to guard him with Jeremy Grant probably. Yeah, right? Jeremy Grant will start. And then I'm sure Paul Millsap will get some minutes on him. But, like, are we going to put Michael Porter in the game? Because, like, LeBron is not Kawhi. Like, if LeBron sees Michael Porter in the game, right. LeBron is, like, calling that defender up and he's going to go and at he's him. not. LeBron sometimes has been shy about, like, big shot blockers inside. I don't think he's scared of Jokic. I don't no, think he's, he's not. Michael Porter, of course. There is a chance that they just run over the nuggets but i don't know i don't know that they i don't know that they run over them like i i do think like i think it's very clear that denver so denver currently has the worst odds to win the title they're plus 900 like i said the lakers are minus 200 i definitely don't think that like that seems a little out of whack to me like the series price is like the nuggets are plus 420 and the lakers are minus 430 so vegas thinks that the lakers have an easier chance easier shot beating Denver than they do of beating Houston. And I think that's kind of out of whack because I, I do think the things that like, now don't get me wrong. If Vogel just decides like, all right, I'm going to play exactly like I played against Houston. Like I do think there's a good chance that they could run Denver out of the gym. Cause we talked about this, but Denver wants to play really slow. Like Denver was 29th in pace in the regular season. They successfully made the Clippers slow way down. And LeBron is better than Kawhi in that sense. Like he's not going to let them off the hook and take a ton of bad shots. He might take some, right. And he might get some Rondo bad shots. You might get some, you're going to get a bunch of Anthony Davis, like, mid-post BS. But, like, the rest of the guys in the Lakers, like, they just do what they're supposed to do, right? Like, they space the floor around LeBron and AD. They, they just take open shots most of the time only from passes from LeBron. And I just think that, like, the Nuggets have to – the Nuggets have to play a level up than we saw them play against the Clippers to beat the Lakers, in my opinion. Just well, because Lakers, I don't think like, that the same I don't mistakes think the Lakers... are going to get made. I don't think the Lakers are going to f- do this, unfortunately, for their sake. But, like, LeBron traditionally plays a little slower as teams. Um, but I just think the Nuggets can't match up if they go fast. I mean, like, you have Anthony Davis. Like, is he the fastest center in the league? I don't know. Nerlens Noel, well, maybe? I, don't I mean, know. he's got to be the most fluid guy. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, like I wonder, I wonder if they want Anthony Davis. Like, like I, I no joke. Like, I wonder if they want like five out with Anthony Davis. Like, if they're just well, gonna like let Jokic back up and like either let Anthony Davis just shoot threes or just try to take him off the bounce. Because like we we saw this against Houston. Like, this guy can catch it at the top of the key and like put it in his left hand. And get right. to the rim. If he's the like, most fluid. That's probably the springiest. Like, 
five, man, if he plays that way. And LeBron, even at 35, is probably the most athletic power forward, right? I mean, my, my question is, do we think Denver's going to shrink their rotation a little bit? Like, do we think, like, will we see Mason Plumley? Like, Torrey Craig, I think, has to play. Like, I think Torrey Craig's got to be another body for LeBron. And I don't, you know, having Torrey Craig in the game on offense. I, to me, here's the thing. If we see the same Murray and Jokic that we saw right. against the Clippers, like if those two guys play up to that level, Denver will be in this series. Whether no, sure. Or not they I just hate it. that they have to rely on Murray hitting 50% of his threes. To yeah. win and, and there's no reason, you know, other than like history of Jamal Murray, there's no reason to think he wouldn't do that because he's currently continuing to do it. But like he just takes so many tough shots. And then I, I do think when, when he starts to play really well, their offense gets a little sticky. Like it slows down a little bit. Like they're much better playing through Jokic, right? Like they're much better like with Jokic getting guys shots and him kind of deciding how he wants to play. But also too, like the Nuggets play a fair amount of five out. Like they post Jokic a bunch, but they play a lot of five out. Like they play a lot of pick and roll with Murray and Jokic. And like, I do think that's going to stretch the Lakers a little bit. Cause like getting Anthony Davis away from the hoop, making LeBron have to move, we saw them not help a ton in the Houston series. Like they, they, they kind of were like, okay, these guys can't drive and, and get to the rim. But like Denver has a couple dudes that can that can actually put it on the ground. Like Michael Porter Jr. can really hurt you. Like they have a third score off the bench. Like the Kuzma Michael Porter matchup is going to be pretty funny because it's two dudes who only want to score. Forgot about Kuzma. But like um, I, to me, you know, I, I just wonder. Like Denver is going to make it more difficult on the Lakers bench guys to have a big impact. They're, they're better defensively. Like, Houston's a good defensive team, but, like, Denver is playing really well right now. They know and exactly how they're they playing. They are deeper. Like, you know, Monte Morris is a good backup. You have Torrey Craig. And, you yeah, know, I mean, Denver can Plumlee play. Plumlee might not play, but he's competent if he does. I mean, Denver's um, playing 10 guys. I guess, like, P.J. Dota doesn't really count because he's only played eight games. But of the guys that have played, now that Gary Harris is back, but Denver's playing nine guys 10-plus minutes a game. They're playing eight guys, 20 minutes. And they do have some familiarity with each other, you know, maybe more so than the Lakers. And, and that was one thing I thought was lame excuse on Doc Rivers' part, like how new the team is. Yeah, it's not. Which is true, but <laughs> the Lakers worked in Anthony Davis. Miami you played 90 games. You played Butler. what? You played – they played what? They played six games in the – they played six games in the first series and seven in the second, so like 13 games plus they played like – they played like 70 games. Like they played like 80 games. Well, and then look at the teams in the finals. Anthony Davis, major acquisition – Boston added Kemba, you know. Miami, Miami average Jimmy Butler. It's like huge shakeups. Denver probably the least, but they still working in Michael Porter. They don't have Will Barton. There's adjustments they're doing. I, I do want to say, like, I, I feel very good for Denver. Like, we talked about this team. We talked about how, like, defensively they really, you know, they seem to struggle midseason. And it, it, it's been fun. I mean, one of the things we always said what are was, the like, odds? What are the odds, you know, for the game, let's say? It's like seven? Uh, what's the spread right now? Yeah, Let me look. Uh, I think it's I think it's more than that. Seven seems about right. Yeah, yeah, seven. It's seven. That's good. Boston. Yeah, that, also, that scares me. I, I'd be scared of that betting the Lakers just because, like, if the game does get slow. Um, yeah, the over under. The over under is two twelve. Which again, like, I think it's very possible that we see the exact same scenario with Denver, where they come out in Game One on Friday and they just, you know, like you said, that like they're riding super high against the Clippers. And they try to play the same way, and it doesn't work against the Lakers, and they get blown out, and, and everything readjusts. And then, but one of the things we've seen, like Mike Malone, has made very good adjustments in both series, right? And maybe I don't know if like the protests like helped to kind of zap Denver back into it. You know what I mean? Because they got that extra day of rest, they maybe got an extra time to watch film. Like that's kind of an underrated thing. Like they were out ready to get bounced on the first round, and now they're playing the Lakers. And and again, I don't think I don't know off the top of my head like what minus. 
you know, 450 is in terms of like percentage wise. But I would say Vegas thinks that the Lakers win the series like 85% of the time or right. something. And I think it's less than that. I think I'm going to pick the Lakers. I'm going to pick the Lakers in six. But I just, I just feel like this Denver team is dangerous. And I feel like until we see someone really, you know, until we see them really stop Jamal Murray, and he can have a couple bad games in a row. We've seen that. But guys like him, like, they get confidence in the thing. The, the hoop looks like an ocean. You know what I mean? Like, and all of a sudden, all your bad shots go in. And so, like, Yeah, I, I just don't know how sustainable that is. So I think Denver is going to win one or two games, honestly. Yeah. But look, I'm the guy who picked the Clippers to lose two games all season or something. So I, I do want to say, by the way, that like Vegas had the Clippers at like minus 10,000 after game one in that series. So like, just be very wary of overreacting. Right. I think Denver was like plus 900. So it's just like they, they had taken a lot of money on the Clippers and they didn't want to take any more. Right. So like, I think I, if I Denver wins, they need Murray to get hot. They need to play slow. They need to use their bench. Um, well, they're going to play slow. They're going to play slow. But they need Gary Harris to keep making shots, right? They need Paul Millsap to still shoot 35% from three. They need Mike Porter. Like, Michael Porter did out, clearly around. outplay Kuzma, which he's like a much better version of Kuzma. Yeah, that's actually true. He is just a much better version of Kuzma. All right, last thing. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Miami wins an OT. Uh, what a – yeah, the takeaway is like maybe the best block ever. I, I mean, But, you know, we don't focus as much on the East because oftentimes it feels like a coin flip every game to me. Yeah, Boston's still favored by two and a half in this game. They were, I think they were two and a half point favorite, either two and two and a half point favorites in game one as well. These teams are super even. I, I don't really know kind of what to say about it. Like Boston, I thought Boston's a little bit probably be better in terms of like their top end talent. Jimmy's probably the best player in the series. I, I'm really, I'm kind of surprised at the Celtics' willingness to just let Jason Tatum kind of like go ISO in big situations. Like so, in the regulation. Game's tied, or get, they're, they're down one. Jimmy makes a huge three. Uh, they're down one. Marcus Smart draws a ridiculous foul at, on the sideline out of bounds. Jason Tatum makes a free throw. It's tied. And then they just, with 20 seconds left, they just, like, let Jason Tatum dribble the ball and then shoot a walk-up three. Like, when are teams going to start realizing that, like, yes, as good as players are, like, tell them to get to downhill and, like, get to the rim. Like, try to get fouled. Like, try to find a better shot. I hate that. I, I so text you that all the time. Like, Tie just, game or down one when you you oftentimes step back to shoot a three. Yeah, it's and it's like, like you, you dribble it down to, like, six. So then all of a sudden when that light, lane's not there, then all you're forced to do is shoot a shot that literally there's two guys in the NBA that are, like, elite at it. It's like Luca and James Harden, right? So, like, and even them, we don't love it. Like, even them, it's like you guys get that sh- better shots for guys. So, and then it's so predictable too. Like when you <laughs> see Tatum, like just like his eyes light up, and you're like, okay, I know where this is going. And that's why Kobe Bryant was so ineffective in the second half games. of his career, yeah. late in games. But I do want to say um, like, we, one, had this, we, we had this pegged like pretty well, right? For game one, like Dragic was great. They hunted Kemba. Bam, like you said, like in overtime, if. I joke a lot about how college coaches try to steal things from NBA teams and it's hard to do because NBA players are so much better than college players. But if you want to talk about like selling out, like in terms of like low man, like on the nail, like bam, defense is stretched. Jason Tatum is fully downhill. Bam rotates all the way across the rim with his off hand and blocks a freaking dunk attempt. Like guys don't even try to block dunks. Like that was, that was amazing. I mean, yeah. One of the best defensive plays ever, just because you said, so risky to try to block a dunk. You likely going to foul him. Maybe he it's and one, and you lose the game. He just knew. Um, like he sold out at the exact right time. And this is what we've been talking about with Bam Adebayo all year. Like maybe he's not their best player. Like maybe he's not their most famous player. Certainly not. But like when it comes to like a guy that just shows up and just gets shit done for the Miami Heat, like he's just like a perfect guy for their team and their culture. Like he is. 
he's just so good, man. Like he's like a dynamic, perfect modern big guy. Doesn't shoot threes, but you know, passes well. But great switchable nine, defender. Yeah, he had nine assists, like eighteen, nine, and then. Six and meanwhile, rebounds. you're the one who wanted Portland to take Zach Collins over him. Did I want that? No, I don't, I don't know, know, but they did take remember. Zach Collins over him. Yeah, I, I mean, huh. like, here's the thing: like, they deserve so much credit for the player that like Bam has become in terms of like just anchoring their defense and being able to play this way. And again, I don't think you know losing an overtime of game one where you had a chance to win at the end of regulation and a guy makes you know like a top 10 playoff defensive play of all time maybe top five maybe top one I, I don't know it's it's certainly much more difficult of a play than like a chase down block like LeBron had so like I just think that if I'm the Celtics like I'm not feeling I'm not feeling great about losing game one but I'm also not I don't think there's any reason to panic like Tatum was was pretty doggone good and i think they need to find a way to get Kemble walker some easier shots like it, it's yeah, been really hard like struggling he said his confidence is you know he feels like he's not playing well can i say one last thing just to i mean, be a, I mean by the way boston was up 12 going in the fourth quarter so you know again miami like nice comeback jimmy makes a step back three that puts him up one but like boston had the game like they, they had him on the ropes and couldn't put him away can i say one little cranky old man thing absolutely we love Maybe. it <laughs> who you think i are i am no um I thought one of the lamest articles, it was just mostly the headline, but the ringer wrote a thing about Duncan Robinson. What a great story. You know, he really has been like an amazingly good player for them. And then the title of the article was how did the NBA overlook a player like Duncan Robinson? I'm like this guy as a senior at Michigan came off the bench, averaged nine points and two rebounds. Like it's not surprising that NBA would overlook a player like that. It's amazing that a team thought he could be an NBA player. It's also really frustrating when guys make this comment about how like guys get picked later or like Fred Van Vliet doesn't get drafted and like, you know, NBA scouting principles are in the way are, are the way they are because like you do find guys like this. Like this means Toronto did a really good job. It means like Miami right. did a really good I job. I mean Miami gets so much credit. It's not the NBA's fault for missing Duncan Robinson. It's Miami's credit for for finding, finding him, him, developing yeah. him, and you know playing him on a team where his talents can thrive. But, it's like I would, I would argue this about like a guy like Robert Covington, right? Like he was G League Rookie of the Year, like and and you know. Houston finds him. They're like, all right, this three and D kind of arc type of player is becoming really popular. And then like all of a sudden a guy who played his basketball at Tennessee state, who some people really liked, but like, you know, it's just like scouting is what it is. Like, you know, the minority loves these guys. Cause there's no, you know, like, here's the thing. If you're, let's say it's me and you, right. And we love taco fall, right. If you and I talk about how great taco fall is and he's not good, there's no repercussions. If he's good, we get to crow about it. But if somebody drafts Taco Fall too high and he stinks, you lose your job. So, like, I'm not saying the guy shouldn't take risks, but, like, the way that Fred Van Vliet and Duncan Robinson became this level of player is exactly how it should be. Like, this is why the G League exists. Like, this is why they wanted it. This is why they had two-way contracts. So you can bring in some guys with a little bit of less risk, a little bit less of a price and premium on them, and then you're able to develop them and be like, okay, yeah, this guy is somebody, or yeah, this guy isn't. Right. And I think like, and that's how good teams and, and good like scouting teams work. I don't understand why people write. Well, and also like, like it's a testament to, as you said, the G League and the importance of it. And it's not going to yield, you know, the next LeBron, but they're going to find guys like Duncan Robinson who play well. And I've noticed too, like when I look at G League players who play well, like Christian Wood, for example, in Detroit, like it tend, it seems to translate. Like if you're really productive in the G League, you tend to be 
a good NBA player, at least like relatively. I think it's also done a great job of coaching, like coaches who thrive in the G League have really done well, like Nick Nurse, for example. Yeah, or and that's or why Tyler Laurie. Yeah, that did really well. Or like John Beckett, who was on staff with me in Delaware and is an assistant for the Nuggets, or Kevin Young, who's an assistant for the Sixers, or at least with I mean, we'll see if he is. He'll be an assistant somewhere. But like, I, I think it's interesting. Like, I think you know where I think Miami deserves probably the most credit. Duncan Robinson is a great story. Like, that's awesome. They drafted Tyler Hero as a one and done guy. Like. When he wasn't like an amazing player at Kentucky, he was good, but people talked about how he wouldn't play at Kentucky originally. Remember, he was going to go to like Wisconsin, whatever. And now Tyler Hero is like closing games for them. Like to, to me, right, we've talked about Tyler Hero a lot on this podcast, but like using a relatively high pick, I believe it was a lottery pick, right? Like they were not. No, yeah, 12. But, 12. but Tyler Hero was good. I, I think. No, but I'm Duncan... saying like you draft Tyler Hero above some other guys. And I just think that like you're closing games with a rookie. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that to me, like, that's impressive, like, that you were able to identify a guy and he's now playable in your playoff rotation. Right. Well, stretch. I actually think Tyler Hero may be a better example of what the ringer was trying to say. It's like, frankly, like, sometimes white guys do get underrated. Yeah, like, why wasn't, why wasn't Tyler Hero, like, the fifth pick? Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's not true for Duncan Robinson. Alex Caruso was not, like, a college star by any means. He, averaged he, was, a really, a game. he was a really good player at Texas A&M, though. But yeah, he was but like not like you wouldn't look at his stats. Like uh, Tyler Hero, you're like this guy's really good at everything. Yeah, he's a all American. Like, yeah. but Duncan Robinson too. Here, here's another funny thing. Like, I'll give you a get off my lawn take. Everyone talks about how like Tyler, like Duncan Robinson's like obviously like man, he went to Williams. Like he must. Like, how did he get so much better? Like, if you were to go, I saw this argument online, and I'm really glad that this got pointed out. But like. Williams is like an amazing division three program. Like most players who play big minutes at Williams are good enough to be scholarship division one players. And so like, yes, like Duncan Robinson ending up at Michigan and being in the NBA, like that is certainly out of whack, but like Duncan Robinson going to Michigan and playing minutes as a freshman, like Duncan Robinson was clearly a division one basketball player. Like it's not like Duncan Robinson, like stunk and then found a pair of Nikes and put them on and became Michael Jordan. Like that's not the story we're talking about here. Like you're talking about a guy who he did end up growing and shooting was in vogue, so he ends up at Michigan because they take a chance, and then all of a sudden, like, it spirals, and, and you figure out, like, oh, he's one of the, what, 15 best shooters in the world? But, like, he's just – it's not a situation where, like, Duncan Robinson is just, like, some absolute piece of trash. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not it. So, but anyway. And, and I wanna... He has height. Like, I think, you know, where I was talking about him today, and, you know, like, he wasn't a star at Michigan compared to, like, Nick Stauskas, who was – Extremely good, but he's six. And he's a good six shooter. five, and he's like a locked knockdown shooter. Like we've seen, like Steve Novak played a lot of years in the NBA. Because right. he was that, six, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if you're if you don't have the size, uh, like the wing, like it's it's a lot harder. Like that's why Kyle Korver is still effective at like age forty because he can get off his shot. And, and you remember Kyle Korver in college was like a big time scorer. Like they had a bunch of like pinch post stuff for him where like he was scoring inside the arc before he just became like a three point shooter. But all right, we're over time. I, I actually. For the first time in a long time, like I'm the one that has to go. So, real quick, give me your. Uh, I said Lakers in six. You said Lakers in I five said Lakers or six. In five or six, somewhere in between. Okay, fine. Lakers in five and a half. They're going to cancel a game, and then I think Boston bounces back on. I think that's yeah. Series I, I going think that seven. series is going to go seven. I would love it to go seven. Yeah, because it might be honestly, it might be the last competitive series. I mean, if the Lakers are, I don't think so. I, I think. think if they're the Pete both, Weber, I am who you think you are. Whatever. I think both Boston and Miami are a very fine are a fine matchup for the Lakers, and I'm actually relatively excited for it. I'd rather see Miami against the Lakers just because I like the LeBron stuff, but I also want to see Bam guard. Uh, I think Bam has the best chance to guard Anthony Davis. I don't. That's where the who do you think you are? Really All right. Anyway, 
xanderkellison at gmail.com. He is Zan <laughs> underscore Ellison on Twitter. Watch the Pete Weber clip on YouTube. Who do you think you are? I am. I'm going to say that to people at the streets now. Zan, it's, it's, a, it's like a 10 year old <laughs> clip, too, by the way. I'm, it's I'm always a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.